Welcome to STEMversity, the podcast produced by the NSF HSI National STEM Resource Hub. This podcast engages conversations with STEM experts at various stages in their careers, working for diversifying the scientific enterprise in an equitable way. Our guest panelists share perspectives and experiences as they tackle concerns and celebrate successes we often engage as we work to support students pursuing STEM degrees at Hispanic-serving institutions. Your host is the president of Doña Ana Community College in Las Cruces, New Mexico, Dr. Monica Torres. For more information, visit the HSI National STEM Resource Hub website at www.hsistemhub.org. Today's podcast guest is Dr. Michael Thompson with Research Impact Enterprises. In this interview, Dr. Torres and Dr. Thompson dive deep into broader impacts, defining impact, measuring impact, and bridging research and impact in a compelling way. Stay tuned for today's podcast. Hello, with me today is Michael Thompson. Michael, thank you so much for, for joining me. I can't tell you how happy I am to be in a conversation with you. Yeah, it's, it's great to be here and it's great uh, getting a chance to talk with you too, Monica. Thank you, Michael. So I'm going to move us. I, I must talk with you about broader impacts. Yeah, sure. Uh, I, I guess I'm interested not just in your understanding of, but you have a commitment to what appears to be a pro- professional and personal commitment to broader impacts. I'd like to talk to you about this in a couple of ways. Clearly, we're going to have lots of people in our audience who are really interested in your thinking about broader impacts as it relates to NSF criteria. Mm-hmm. But, but the second thing is in your, in your manifesto, you talk about broader impacts as a way of life. Yeah. And you've pointed in some directions here. But let me ask you about both of those. Can, can you talk a little bit about what advice or how would you help people think about broader impacts when it comes to NSF? And I know that that requires hours of, of discussion. Broader impacts is an engagement outcome impact function. How are you going to engage? What is the benefit? And how those benefits will lead to long-term sustainable impacts. And I'm going to reference it to the NSF one through nine, right? So the definition of broader impacts, and I'm going to tell you just, let's just be transparent. A lot of people don't even understand that definition. Okay, but the ability to accomplish the potential to benefit society and contribute to the achievement of specific desired societal outcomes. And most people who I talk to, most faculty behind closed doors, they go, what does that mean? So we just start with broader impacts as an engagement outcome impact function. Your desired societal outcomes fit within the NSF one through nine. Those are the long sustainable impacts. And then the outcomes underneath that are what you are doing, right? So you're figuring out a way to engage. You're working with a group of people. You are then coming up with some activities or things that will help to bring a certain outcome, a certain benefit to whatever is going on. Doing that over a finite period of time that's measured, which is critical for NSF broader impacts, if done enough, and done in some right ways will lead to some desired societal outcomes, which are those long-term sustainable impacts. That is in essence the core of how you need to think about broader impacts from an NSF perspective. And that's what they want. You can literally take a logic model that has inputs, activities, outputs, and outcomes 
put your different things in there and use that as a way to write, literally write your narrative for your broader impacts and also plan out who you're going to work with, what you're going to do, etc. One part is about just understanding what it means. Another part is saying, well, how do I integrate it with who I am such that it just becomes part of me, part of my identity? And that is figuring out what you're passionate about. It doesn't have to be a lot, but for example, let's say you're passionate about cars, <laughs> right? Well, how can you use cars to and engage with people to generate a certain outcome that will help with those NSF one through nine. Whatever you're passionate about, whatever you like, use that as a model as you build. The next one um, is about the writing because that's a critical aspect. How, well, how do I write? There's actually a way that you sp can specifically write broader impacts, a standard way for regular PI and co-PI pro research proposals. There's a standard way that really starts, talks about first NSF one through nine, contextualize within your outcomes, and then use the outcomes, outputs, activities, and inputs. Inputs can go into sometimes your facilities, equipment, other resources, et cetera, and use that in a paragraph format to be able to write a comprehensive and meaningful broader impacts section. Those are the pieces that if you were just coming in and you were going, I have no idea, or I'm not really sure about this, those are the pieces you're probably going to be most interested in. The other ones, other parts are just basically building up on that framework. You've articulated this in a couple of ways that I think we can get our hands around, right? So mm -hmm. this idea of the, the framework that you talked about an engagement outcomes impact function, right? And then using the logic model where you're using quite literally inputs, activities, outputs, outcomes mm -hmm. as kind of a a heuristic, right? For moving through the steps right. that you move through to, to, to figure right. out. And the way to write. Yeah, actually. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. When we work with faculty, they're really smart people, right? Mm -hmm. Really smart. What's the disconnect between the work they're doing and not understanding this idea of broader impacts initially, right? When they're initially, what, where do you think the disconnect in the institution? Well, you know, there's a couple of disconnects. And so I, I won't go through all of them, but there's a couple, especially for those in STEM. A lot of people in STEM are not used to being asked, what are you passionate about? And include other things than the specific research that you're doing at the time in a proposal, right? They're not used to having to think about the impact in a finite time period function of their work. This is a slightly different, right? Because impact can be long-term. There could be unintentional, there could be intentional, but it could be long-term. That could be kind of guessing. Great, fine, we understand that. We can understand where this might be able to work. Being able to have something that is short-term or something that is measured that can be done in a, in a period of time that can be impactful that can be done with, can be done through, or can be done on behalf of or associated with is a kind of a different story. It's a different way of looking at the world, right? And so a lot of faculty struggle with that aspect. A lot of them have not been given the, the tools, and it's not just the tools, but it's the tools, a strategy, and a framework 
for how to integrate that into their research programs. A lot of times faculty will come in, they'll be new, they've got their research, and then all of a sudden they have to integrate a impact domain in the context of their research program. How do you do that? No one's taught them how to do that before. That's not something that you get taught down or something that's passed right. uh, by your uh, PIs or your advisors or you don't get that. It also makes them begin to have to think about how they're really fitting in the world. How do you really fit in the world? Like, yeah, you're doing your research and that's great, but um, how are you really fitting in the world? What is social aspect? What does all this stuff have to do with making uh, some real difference, tangible right now difference? That's another aspect that faculty haven't been, not that they can't, it's just that when they were doing their studies, they weren't told. They weren't shown. They know how to think like a, a scientist, a STEM, but they haven't had to think about impact. Another thing is a definition in and of itself. Broader impacts. What does that actually mean? Every single thing that we do in the university is guided by a theoretical or conceptual framework. It doesn't matter what it is. Right. right. You're right. you're in STEM, you're faculty, you're in humanities, you're in arts. You have a conceptual theoretical framework that's guiding you through the steps that you're taking. All of a sudden, you're expected to do something that you don't have a conceptual theoretical framework about. And that is a huge thing for faculty. And I don't I don't think it's something that a lot of people yeah. thought about that. Oh, well, broader impact. But what's a conceptual theoretical framework for this thing to help me move through it? and succeed. And then not only succeed, but be able to eat. So there's a lot of these different aspects. And that's why, um, you know, we created the broader impacts conceptual framework and can tell you that it's an engagement outcome impact function. It follows that because then you can say, you know what, I can scale on that. I can attach to that. I know kind of what that means and how I can then go about doing that to be successful and even achieving NSF proposals. There's a lot of those kind of nuanced things that are in there that faculty haven't had the opportunity to, to get and no one really talks about or is talking about that really needs to be there, right? So when you talk about broader impacts, right, what would be a series of definitions that would be based off of research that a faculty can go and say, oh, this is what this means. So even understanding conceptually, like, okay, well, if there's broader impacts, there must be narrower impact. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Well, am I doing narrower impacts? The other thing is, right, this idea of always talking about benefit. Not everything is beneficial. There's positive impacts. There's negative impacts. What are net impacts, right? And so all of these kinds of things, faculty haven't been given frameworks for thinking about, but then they're expected all of a sudden to be able to do these things. And they do, but without kind of the baseline frameworks and skeleton for how to operate in these things. It usually just takes me about an hour to get a faculty to write a really great broader impact statement. Easily. I can go through that and boom, 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 boom. This is how you write it for a co-PI PI proposal. And they're like, oh, it's like that? I'm like, yeah, period. You, you do this, understand this, right? Understanding that uh, broader impacts is a process with people or stakeholders to um, achieve a societal benefit that is measured or accessed and is accomplished in a finite amount of time begins to distill all, everything that they were thinking about. 
There's all of these kinds of things that when people begin to talk about broader impacts, that they're not told. Someone should be able to explain to them in some research-based, realistic view of how it works. Michael, do you know, and I realize you're not a historian of science, do you know, or, or a historian of the NSF, is this a relatively new concept in terms of proposal writing? So this is a great question. The answer to the question, first of all, is no, not really. It might have taken different forms in proposal writing, but different kinds of impact has always been around. It's just more formalized. Okay. Right. They actually had broader impacts in writing for proposals before they came out with the broader impacts criterion. Right before they came out with the two, the intellectual merit and the broader impacts criterion, they actually have four of them. Two of them related to broader impacts. So that's been there. Now, if you go and look across the world, there are tons of societal benefit or broader impacts like terms, names, or phrases across the world. When you get right down to it, Even before the United States, if we're going to really get historical, even before the modern U.S. formed, before they came over, sovereign nations were accomplishing and doing broader impacts. They had a term for it called Iacocoa, right? So all of these things, they were already there. It's just being able to then take that and shed just a slightly different light on it, right, and then coin it as this is what we're going to do. It's been throughout history. It's been throughout world history when you really look at this idea about broader impacts. Um, I can't remember now how many, I have a spreadsheet that lists all the broader impacts like name terms and phrases throughout the world. There's tons of them, right? Um, Actually, that's how we came up with a research-based definition because we actually did a cross analysis of what's in there and then compared them all. Those things have been around for centuries, whether they're happening through convergent or divergent evolution. That's a different story, but it's been here. It's just that now because there's a certain amount of money that NSF has made a push for it and this impact agenda has been kind of put in the limelight that it looks like um, this is really this new. Is new. It's, it's, it's been around forever. That's great. Thank you. When people think about themselves as faculty members, right? And I used to be a faculty member. It's been a little while, but <laughs> the, the idea of impact is powerful. And so we've been thinking about it in terms of research. But when a faculty member says to you, how do I demonstrate the impact of my work? How do you chat with them about that? What are some of the what are some of the things you you suggest they think about or look at or consider? The first question that I usually ask is how are they defining impact, right? And so let me jump back to broader impact. Definition about a process involving people and stakeholders to achieve a societal benefit that is measured or assessed in a finite amount of time. The other part of that is this can be done through your research, teaching, service, occupation, etc. if done appropriately can lead to sustainable positive impacts. Right. So, the first question if someone asks me about impact is I'm going to ask them how are they defining impact? Because there is the inanimate form of impact and animate form of impact. Yeah, what do you mean? Inanimate, something hit each other like in chemistry. <laughs> It has no positive or negative. It just hit each other. There was a collision. The animate, which a lot of us only assume with impact, is the part where we're actually affected or affected by something. So my first question is, what is your definition of impact? And once we get to understanding what their definition of impact, because they might have different reasons for asking this question, then we can begin to talk about how you might 
be able to show that. If impact is both inanimate and animate, that means that you could have a net overall impact, whether it be positive or negative. Is the impact that you're doing actually end up going to be net positive or net negative? And that's what I would be interested in. But we can't start that conversation if we don't know how you're defining impact. Maybe the impact is actually just getting journal articles. That's the type of impact, right? It's not better than impacting society. It's just one that's over here. There's tons of different kinds of impact. So that's my first question. And then once we define that, then we can figure out how to move forward. So that's how I start. No, that's really interesting. When I think about when faculty members start their careers, that's a really interesting question. What what kind of impact would you like to have? I was a faculty member, but I was also a department head in a university. I think it's useful to think of that kind of over at the start of a career, but then even annually, right, mm-hmm. as you're trying to assess what... What have you done? What do you want to do? What's next? This whole idea of the the impact agenda, you could call it research impact, impact, et cetera, um, is great. But no one's talking about what type do they want and then whether it's positive or negative or net neutral. No one talks about that. And that's something that I think has been lost, what I would call the impact agenda specifically for universities, because a lot of people in universities or colleges, when they think of impact, they think in terms of the academic space. But impact is also in the industry and entrepreneurial space, and they have definitions for it, and they have ways of going about doing it, right? So this impact is kind of like all over the place, but depending on where you're at, what space you're in, might be how it curtails how you think about and how you achieve whatever impact that you are trying to to achieve. And it may not necessarily be an impact. It may just be an outcome that you're hoping to have an impact, or it could be a short term, depending on whether you're in industry or academia, et cetera. Um, It's useful to really think about the logic model again. Is this an output? Is it an outcome? Is it impact, right? Long-term. Yeah. And that's an academic perspective as well, right? In industry, they Mm -hmm. think of impact in some cases differently. The question is, what kind of impact are you trying to achieve? And then from there, figuring out which model, like if your impact is in industry, well, we're going to take different models. If your impact is in academia, we might take different models. If your impact is even tailored towards the community, it might be different models. It just depends on what kind of impact. So that takes me to the last question. I'd like to close on this question. You have a Uh, an incredibly robust CV, right? Considerable experience in the academy and industry as an entrepreneur. So can you talk a little bit about how your your experience in each of those and how that experience shapes the work you, you do now? Could your experience help us think about the work we do in the academy? So I am kind of one of those circular nomads, I guess, first of all, right? I, I kind of move from academia to industry and then do entrepreneurship. And I'm just going to say industry is already where there's a preformed company already, right? Yeah. Entrepreneurship is where there's a need that you're going to fill, but you don't have the resources to sustain it at the time, right? right. Thinking about that. And so I move in those spaces a lot simply because there's different aspects of myself that gets fed by each one of those areas. When I think about the experience that I've had, and I've had a lot, and I and I kind of choose, once again, we go back to that idea of wealth, right? This mm-hmm. idea of wealth and purpose about choosing which space that I'm going to be in. Um, currently, I'm kind of in more in the entrepreneurship space, 
One of the things that I think becomes very informative on the way that we look in academia is the way that we should probably start being able to integrate how we do things for academia and in STEM education. There's a big conversation nowadays about credentialing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a big conversation about skills versus the, the lifelong learner. There is a big conversation about STEM and education. And so really, when you begin to look at all three of those dynamics, the academy, industry, entrepreneurship, right? Those things, from my perspective, actually should be very intertwined. So best case scenario at this point in time is to have industry living on campus. Interesting. And industry living in STEM education and having entrepreneurship as well, right? So in other words, you create a environment in which all three of those spaces are kind of in the same area. And I think that begins to create kind of a robust environment. And so it wasn't until COVID that people really start thinking about this idea. But, you know, as people move to remote, as the academy who has a model that is becoming less and less sustainable as far as uh, the economics is concerned. And as students are looking for skills, right, it's great to be a lifelong learner. The thing about lifelong learning, those who already have a secure job where they want to be, those who are faculty, those who consider themselves successful and not having to worry about putting food on the plate are always talking about lifelong learning, but those aren't your students, (laughs) right? So understanding the dichotomy between what a lot of people talk about with lifelong learning and thinking about skills development and bringing the industry and entrepreneurship into the academy. And I'm not just saying have a course or whatever. I'm talking about actually having physical spaces preoccupied by industry and those who are in entrepreneurship, intermingling those with your classes, your courses, your service learning, your everything that you have in the academy, along with understanding even what it means for skill development becomes critical. And so I think that from having experience in all three of those spaces, I think that is where I see things should be going. And I think must go if the academy is to kind of turn the corner on where it's currently at. I think right now in the academy, they're they're really kind of still trying to do separation, so to speak. But full-on integration is the thing that will probably be the next great revolution for the academy, whether it be the ROI for jobs, skills, economic development. If, in my opinion, I think that's what can be learned to be able to integrate all of those things. I think we see pieces of this. It's certainly at some institutions, but I think we're seeing pieces of that integration poking at us a little bit in, in mm-hmm. the academy, right? In, in, right? in ways that you're suggesting could be quite productive for all of us. There might be some people who are listening and they're like, okay, well, I hear what you're saying, but what kind of model would that, what would that really look like? So let's say you're uh, HSI, you're a community college as well. And the institution is looking at their budget and they're going, we need 
to become more fiscally sound. We need to be more flexible. Right now, we're starting to become insolvent because we have some debt that we have to pay down or that is coming up, right? Because most institutions, they have a debt model. They don't usually have a just a plain revenue generating model. One way would be to say to a company who's in the area, maybe an engineering company or maybe a science company to say, you know what, we would like for you to occupy, if you would like, and rent one of the buildings in the middle of campus, if possible, or something like that. And then what you could do is we can offer internships, we can offer uh, co-ops, we can offer other learning experiences, teaching experience, which can then begin to help integrate our students into a pathway that you may be able to hire them in the future. That would solve some economic problems for a community college or a university. Instead of just keeping them in one specific space, it would overly integrate skills development and credentialing would then begin to be at the forefront, which would then bring in other industry partners who may want to fund, et cetera, because they see that um, there is a direct link. And also would look very well to the community, the society as a whole, because now you're directly creating pathways from the college, the HSI, to industry or entrepreneurship or whatever, or whatever have you. So that's just a simplified, and I know there's caveats with that and and legal issues and blah, 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 but that's a simplified model for how something like that could work and could work really well and even be worked remotely. So they students don't have to be there if need be. You know, it's, a, it's actually a great example for the moment, right? Because COVID has changed how I think institutions are going to be using space. Mm-hmm. And so that would be a, an interesting, relevant example for all the reasons that you named, plus some, I, I think, Michael. Yeah, that's, I think that's a great example. Well, Michael, let me thank you for joining me today. It has been an absolute pleasure to think with you and to learn from you. I look forward to getting this out so that more people can hear it. Yeah. And if anybody wants to contact me, I mean, feel free to contact me, ask me questions. You know, you need uh, seminars or anything. Just just let me let me know and we'll, we'll see what we can we can do and work out something. That sounds fabulous. Thank you, Michael. I sure appreciate you. My pleasure. It's great to be here, Monica. Thank you for listening to STEMversity, the podcast. We appreciate your interest in being part of the conversation on supporting student success in STEM. Please visit www.hsistemhub.org and join our STEM professionals network for more information, materials, and announcements. There is no fee to join. Connect with the HSI STEM Hub on LinkedIn and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date information for STEM education at HSIs. Please subscribe, share, and review the podcast to keep the conversation going. Please stay tuned for the second part of this podcast where Dr. Torres and Dr. Thompson talk about economic development and service learning. This podcast is produced by the NSF HSI National STEM Resource Hub. Funded by the National Science Foundation, awards 1832338 and 1832345. Music by Elijah Vela.
Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations presented in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of the National Science Foundation, NMSU, CSUN, or DACC.